Welcome back, gals, ghouls, and baddest days of the world. I am your co-host, Cass Clark. And as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Ryan C. Bradley. Hello. And today, we're very excited. We have our uh, hosts of the Ghouls Friends podcast today. I would love for you two to introduce yourself uh, before we dive into talking about all things, fittingly, Scottish horror. <laughs> Lindsay, do you want to start or shall I start? <laughs> you go first. <laughs> yeah, I'm one half of the duo that is Google Friends. Um, it's a spooky sleepover slumber party podcast that we do every week, every Wednesday. Um, we have a different theme every week around horror and we always have on different guests, people from, you know, talking about feminist horror movies, people from the queer community talking about queer horror, about everything and anything in between horror. We've been doing the podcast for about, I don't know how long now, Lindsay, but nearly two years now. No, year and a half. Year and a half. Yeah, year and a half, which is absolutely insane. But no, it's been really good. We've made like a really nice close-knit community here. And it's insane. Like we've been fully booked with guests pretty much up until the end of the year. And people seem to like to like us and like to come back. So, you know, we always like having people on and having, you know, ADHD rambling tangent discussions, but also important discussions as well about like representation of women and horror and you know, non-binary people, horror, queer people, disabled people, everybody and anybody in between. So, um, but Lindsay, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I'm Lindsay, the other half of Girlfriends. And Girlfriends is really like what it, it says on the tin. Uh, like, we are your best girlfriends when you're listening every week. We are like your safe space to just talk about whatever you want to talk about and like talk about your favourite film as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I can attest to someone who has guested on the pod that they're both lovely. And yeah, I feel like we had so much fun talking about like the descent and the jump scares. And then also like a really like, for me at least, like a valuable conversation about grief and grieving and horror. So it definitely is one of those podcasts that dives in deep, but also is like super fun and sweet and a lot of good laughs there too. So definitely give it a listen to if you're not listening already. And Ryan, you're back to do some history sort of history 101 considering this is a, a newer topic for us to dive into around scottish horror yes so today we're talking about scottish horror with the ghoul friends y'all please jump in and correct me because i'm not scottish and i'm sure i'm gonna get some of this wrong so i have a question for y'all before we get into it what for you defines a movie of scottish horror is it scottish talent the setting is there something intangible beneath it that really makes it kind of scottish I think for me, like, I just love hearing Scottish accents on screen in general. Like, in the UK, back in the 20s, when the BBC radio became a thing, it was all received pronunciation, and regional accents were something that were really, like, forced out of public life. So hearing, like, Scottish, Welsh, Yorkshire, Geordie accents cockney accents like we don't know how lucky we actually are to hear those nowadays because at one point received pronunciation was seen as like a tool of social mobility and you know there was all the all this rhetoric around speaking properly um so that regional accents rural accents were kind of really forced out of public life so i absolutely love hearing scottish accents on screen because i feel like i've had a bit of a relationship with speaking Scots and kind of being told that that's not a thing that I should be doing to kind of now in my 30s like accepting it as a part of who I am and you know not being ashamed of it because for years I feel like I was shamed for it but in terms of like what makes Scottish horror for me it's like being set in Scotland um there is a lot of those in similar veins to like Irish and Celtic stories. There is a lot of folklore in Scotland, so there is so much more to explore. But I just feel like having something in Scotland is a great start. And the two films that we're going to talk about later are specifically set in the south of Scotland, which is not something that gets a lot of screen time in terms of like actually on screen or even like in terms of tourism. People forget the south of Scotland exists. Everyone's just like edinburgh glasgow and the highlands so seeing scotland on screen as well as hearing scottish accents on screen is just really important to me yeah and i think having different regional dialects as well because i don't think people realize when people think about scotland and scottish accents they assume it's either glaswegian or 
Highlands or Edinburgh, but there is like, I mean, from where I'm from anyway, I'm like right the tip top at the north of Scotland and Aberdeen. And we have Aberdeen City and then Shire. And in the Shire, which is about a two hour radius, there is multiple accents within that. There's Fraser Brothers, Peterhead, there's Ellen, everywhere has their own dialects. And I think for me, part of it is the setting, but it's the stories as well, because there is so much Scottish folklore. And I feel like sometimes people mix Scottish folklore with other folklore, like sometimes Irish and Scottish folklore sometimes gets a bit jumbled and mixed. And also showcasing different periods of history in Scotland, because I feel like not just like horror, but like representation of Scotland in media and film, it always focuses on either like fairy tale folklore or it's the era of like the Jacobites or Robert the Bruce well you know William Wallace Braveheart all that kind of stuff but like Scotland has such a rich history before that and after so it'd be really good to see that and also having Scottish actors play Scottish roles because that's so rare and you don't know how infuriating it is sometimes hearing people try to do a specific Scottish accent and it's not accurate (laughs) and I know we see that you know another role I mean you can see that everywhere but you know especially when the dialects are so different, they actually have it portrayed properly on screen. That's something I'd love to see is if it's a different region, like say Aberdeen, like the only time I've ever seen a Doric accent on screen, because Aberdeen is, it's called Doric. So it's actually, it's like its own language. It has its own um, terminology. It's been in um, Brave, like the animated film. And the character in that was just to take the piss. So, like, it, I can't remember what the character is called, but nobody can understand what the hell he's saying. And it's because he's Doric, and it's a really, really strong um, Scottish accent. So it'd be nice, you know, to see kind of that represented more on screen as well. But, yeah, settings settings as well. It was nice, like, to see, you know, in White Settlers, a part of Scotland that isn't really shown very much, because it is, like Lindsay said, it's always the same places. Awesome. I didn't know that about the the regional accents getting erased by the BBC. I think something happened similar in the U.S. with the the mid-Atlantic accent Mm -hmm. and radio, which is fascinating how kind of the stuff kind of happens similarly but different everywhere. I listened to a documentary years ago now called Dolly Parton's America, and Mm -hmm. they were kind of talking about how the Appalachian accent erasure, because there's, and it's a kind of similar thing in Scotland with like accents that are deemed like working class it's like you're deemed like uncouth and unintelligent just based on your accent and a lot like a lot of people have tried to not speak in their Appalachian accent for similar reasons because people just assume that you're they're hillbillies and it's 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 sad because it's like it's a part of who you are it's part of your culture and what like our grandmothers and grandfathers generations if they've been told to not do something in the, in the name of anglification then it means further generations down the line there's stories and songs and all these other things that are just gonna be wiped out and it's it's really sad and it's it's still happening mm-hmm. yeah even like with I mean my my partner's from the south and grew up in Tennessee and like just because of how education systems work down there. Like it was like coached out of him and he worked really hard to drop his accent. And I had, I had a similar thing where I grew up on Island uh, and it's like the Boston accent, but like even weirder. It's like, if you yeah, use Boston it accent in New York, like uh, saying the word coffee will send me. Cause like, if I was to say it, like naturally be like coffee, which is horrible. Um, like horrible that I can't just say it how I know, like would say, it. um, but I went to speech therapy and it was like, literally like coached out of me to like speak properly. So I just think it's a thing that like, I'm so happy you, you both brought this up, uh, because I think the second we start homogenizing culture, we're, we're losing, we're going to lose so much. We're going to lose so much distinction. So I'm really happy that we get to dive into that more in a Scottish context for sure here. So a lot of my history is going to be coming from articles by Samantha McLaren and Fangoria and articles in The Scotsman, which I hope is a reputable paper. Um, but it's definitely the one that comes up on Google when you search for it and some friends from the Ghoulish Discord. So we're going to start talking about some famous Scottish literature and folk horror, also some Scottish history. So 565, before Scotland was officially a country, there was the first of many sightings of the now debunked Loch Ness Monster. Uh, which is kind of horrific. I always throw the cryptids into my histories. <laughs> Legend states that the Sawney Bean clan in the 15th and 16th century took in travelers and then murdered and ate them until they were tracked down and executed. Though there's actually no official record of that actually taking place. It's unclear if like, that's a, a legend or uh, 
real instance. I think it's actually possibly a bit of anti-Scottish slander from oh. the south of the border. Because uh, you're right, there is no record of it and there's meant to be many children and grandchildren who were also all executed mm. uh, by the orders of King James the Sixth of Scotland himself, but um, there is no record. So yeah, we were funnily enough, we're looking this up last week because we covered the Hills Have yeah. Eyes on our podcast, but uh, yeah, no official record, so possibly English slander on Scotland. Whenever there's baby killing or babies going missing, it's almost always like propaganda. Like half the times, like the babies are absolutely fine. <laughs> I think it's just a way to get a get a get away with slander. Yeah. And as Lindsay hints, I don't think anyone said it out loud, the Sonny Bean plan is the inspiration for West Grape, The Hills Have Eyes from 1977. 1606, Shakespeare's Macbeth is first performed. I'm not sure if this would be considered actually Scottish or actually horror, but it does have a trio of witches, murdered, a damned red spot, and a Scottish king. I love Macbeth. That's basically what's here. Um, 1691, George Mackenzie, prosecutor of religious minorities and leader of literal witch trials, kicks off the haunting of gray fires of Kirkburg uh, as the Mackenzie poltergeist once he dies. 1828 to 1897, we have Margaret Oliphant, who uh, she's born in 1828. Um, she would go on to write 120 novels and a ton of short stories, including The Lady's Walk, which I loved when I read in the Valancourt Book of Christmas Ghost Stories, Volume 1. 1828, William Burke and William Hare killed 18 people to provide cadavers for dissections in Edinburgh, which inspired numerous written and filmed stories, most famously from Robert Louis Stevenson, who, speaking of, was also Scottish, born in 1850, died in 1894. He was educated and born in Edinburgh and had a massive influence on horror and literary history. His most famous works, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, was a huge hit and has been adapted on film repeatedly, with the title characters played by, by John Barrymore, Spencer Tracy, uh, a ton more people, and soon Eddie Izzard is actually going to play them, which is very exciting. He also wrote Treasure Island, which scared the shit out of me when I saw the Wishbone adaptation as a kid. Black Spot really scared me, and kidnapped, among many others. 1925... The Big Gray Man, I guess, was first reported. Uh, Professor J. Norman Colley was hiking, and he claims to have seen a 10-foot-tall, thin man in the fog climbing, and I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, the Ben Macdu. The, the papers reported it, and many other eyewitnesses came forward. 1945, The House of Fear was filmed, uh, or released. Sherlock Holmes investigates murders in a Scottish castle. 1948, Castle Sinister, another murder investigation on a Scottish castle, which was not well-reviewed. 1954 had something that's like begging to be a movie, The Gorbals Vampire Incident, where Scottish children stormed a graveyard for three nights in a row. The police stopped them the first night, and the children kept going back because they were looking for a vampire with iron teeth. They believed eight, two other children. What's really interesting is it's one of many such incidents so like it happened again and again. And I think just outside of Scotland too, where children just got so scared of shit, they just stormed cemeteries and tried to find the vampires. Um, it did help lead to a ban on the import of horror comics in Scotland, which always makes me question like, how serious was this incident and how much was it played up so they could ban horror comic books? Um, around that time was also the, the Seduction of the Innocent, that book in the United States that led to a ban in vampire comics here as well. Um, 1960, The Flesh and the Fiends was released. Peter Cushing plays Robert Knox, the anatomist who hired Burke and Hare to kill. I don't think he hired them to kill. I misphrased that. He bought the bodies that they killed from them. The film also featured Donald Pleasance. 1973, The Wicker Man, which is a classic. Our first breakout films. We'll come back to that. 1978, The Manitou adopted from Scottish writer Graham Masterson's 1976 novel of the same name. He also wrote a bunch of other novels. 1994, Muriel Gray, a broadcaster, published the horror novel The Trickster, the first of three well-received books by her. 1994, A Shallow Grave, which was Danny Boyle's feature debut, starring his frequent collaborator, Ewan McGregor. Flatmates commit and try to cover up a murder. 1996, Loch Ness. Ted Danson tries to debunk the Loch Ness monster in this kid's film. 1998, there's Urban Ghost Story. A young woman dies for three minutes and comes back to life with some unexpected passengers. This film is noted for its betrayal of poverty. 2000, Complicity. A journalist finds himself being accused after the subject of his investigations are murdered. 
2002, Dog Soldiers, an elite military unit in training fights werewolves. This movie kicks a lot of ass. Same director in 2005, The Descent, which you all talked about on your episode cast. I listened to this morning. It's great. Film scenes in Perth and Kinross, Scotland. 2008, The Dead Outside, Carrie-Anne Mullaney's first feature, a pandemic horror film. 2008, we're back with Neil Marshall again on Doomsday, a far future pandemic horror. 2008 also had The Newtown Killers, where the ultra-rich lure the poor into deadly games. 2010, Outcast, Colm McCarthy's feature debut. Later, he'd go on to direct The Girl with All the Gifts. 2010, we had Attack of the Herbals, which I really want to see. A plan to save a town from a supermarket opening goes west when our heroes make uh, drugged tea out of a washed-up Nazi crate. Sounds absolutely wild. 2011, Retreat which takes place in Scotland with a mostly non-Scottish cast. It's a psychological thriller where the main characters are told there's a virus outside and they have to stay inside to be safe. 2011, A Lonely Place to Die. Hikers rescue a strange girl but her captors are willing to kill to keep her. 2013, Lord of Tears, directed by Laurie Brewster, set on the Scottish Highlands with a killer creature design. Got a prequel in 2017. 2013 also had Under the Skin, an early A24 distributed hit starring Scarlett Johansson as a man-eating alien. 2014 had our second breakout film, White Settlers, which we'll come back and talk about a bunch more. 2015 had Let Us Pray, where a rookie cop is confronted by a mysterious stranger revealing the town's secret. 2016, Laurie Brewster's back with The Unkindness of Ravens, where a veteran deals with PTSD and monsters. 2018, Caliber. A hunting trip goes badly. A couple more in 2018. Matriarch, where a couple gets into a car accident and find themselves in trouble with the locals. There's also The Forgotten Island from that year, the first of eight and counting horror novels from David Sodergren, and also the book Little Eve by Catronia Ward, a Scottish set gothic horror novel. 2020 also had Get Duked, a group of high school students in a self-improvement club are hunted like game by characters played by Eddie Izzard and Georgie Glenn. 2020, Gemma Amore's novel White Pines tells the story of a woman returning to Scotland after a divorce. 2021, the movie The Shepherd is about a grieving shepherd struggling to stay sane. 2021, She Will. Alice Creed plays a woman convalescing the Scottish Highlands in the self-described gothic fairy tale. Um, Ghostly Thistle is a scary fiction podcast who's done a number of episodes set in Scotland. And finally, Consecration from this year, 2023, where a woman investigates her brother's suicide in the Mount Savior Convent. So, what I miss? What I get wrong? I <laughs> was very comprehensive. I'm impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Because I learned a couple stuff, a couple things. So I can't think of anything, Lindsay. I don't know if you can think of anything. I was just no. I think you've got it covered. Honestly, um, yeah. You want to dive into our first breakout movie, The Wicker Man from 1973? Ready? Let's do it. Sounds good. <laughs> Let's go. The Wicker Man, directed by Robin Hardy and written by Anthony Schaefer, starring Hammer Horror legend Christopher Lee. The Wicker Man is a folk horror film following Sergeant Neil Howie investigating the supposed disappearance of a missing girl on a remote Scottish island that worships Celtic slash Gaelic gods of yesteryear with lots of fertility rituals to ensure bountiful harvests. But Hoey or Howie fears that the cost to reap this soil is deadly. Bah, bah, bah. Uh, so some fun facts for the film before we dive into how we felt about it and how well we think it holds up. Creators use uh, Scottish anthropologist James George Fraser's The Golden Bough book as inspiration behind the film's rituals, the score, and just the sense of evoking an era of like folklore from like Scottish past is not very very specific but it wanted to give it like remnants of like the kind of traditions that actually happened like years and years ago like um on the like the islands how successful not that happened is also something i'd love to ask in a second uh, most of the film is shot entirely in scottish towns the first thing i thought about this film when i was watching it was i like, really was sad that i saw this film after i saw midsummer something i think we can also get into <laughs> just speaking of how much of the dna of the Wicker Man is very much an Ari Aster's film and why. But before we get into any of that, what did we think of the film? Do we still like it? Do we think it holds up? It's quite interesting because I'd never seen the remake before. Like I'd seen, we watched the original for Ghoul Friends about a few months ago, Lindsay. I can't remember, maybe a month or so ago. 
think it was maybe like a year ago. But... Oh my god, my time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I hadn't seen it before, which is like really bad of me being somebody that's Scottish, and I absolutely loved it. But I only watched the new one today with Nicolas Cage, and I have to say. Oh, in comparison, it's uh, I'm so bad. Like, I mean, I, I know we've got the memes, the, the bees meme. I've seen that. Everyone has seen that. And I know everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but I feel like it doesn't hold a, a torch on the, the 70s one. And, like, I know that it was filmed in a couple of places, like Lindsay's hometown as well. And it's, it's like, one of the few... I don't know, it's it's a film that holds quite dear to my heart, like this and Dog Soldiers. I don't know, I feel like it represents Scotland quite well. Like, I know there's a couple of points on here, like I've seen, I can see on your notes there about pet peeves. I get I get that, and I'm interested to hear what Lindsay's thoughts are on this, but I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it's a pretty solid movie, especially for the 70s, and it kind of, like, it was quite interesting watching it now. I kind of wish I watched it as a kid to see what if it had been a different impact on me, but still for a film that's from that era, it still was very tense, like very tense. Um, and it kind of gripped me throughout the whole thing. I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a classic for a reason. And I was the same as you. I watched Midsummer before this and I love Midsummer. Yeah. Yeah. And I did not realize how much of this was taken from it. And even like even in the remake as well. And I'm like, this is like a play-by-play yeah. of Midsummer. I mean, they've got the bear suit and everything. I'm like, come on, Ari Aster. Like yeah. <laughs> you can see where your inspiration was from. So yeah, but I'll let I'll let Lindsay talk because I know she loves this movie as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love this film and it's almost entirely shot in the south of Scotland, which is why one of the reasons I picked it. I feel like like Lucy brought up Dog Soldiers. It would be quite easy to talk about Dog Soldiers, but it's actually filmed in Luxembourg and this is filmed in Scotland. Mm. So which is why I went this way rather than the other way. Yeah, I love this film. I love how it's like an debate on morality tale. Um you know, I kind of hate Sergeant Howie throughout the whole thing, but he's actually just doing his job. And then it kind of flips the script in the end. And it's like, yeah, he was annoying as fuck the entire time, but he's actually not the bad guy in this. It's actually the people who live there. So I think that's why it holds up still, because you can't date those kind of stories, those like ethics of morality kind of stories. And that's why it still holds up 50 years later. What do you think, Ryan? I didn't love it the first time I watched it, like six or seven years ago, but I loved it when I watched it yesterday. I think the first time I, I, I knew the ending and it kind of like diffused the tension. But the second time, it didn't feel like that at all. I'm not sure if it was just like where I was at, but the second time I really appreciated all like the choreography and the dances. Mm-hmm. I really liked the songs. I guess the first time I was just like waiting for the guy to get burnt to death. Like, I don't know that I wanted to see that, but, like, if you know that's coming, it's, like, on your mind the whole time. The second time I could, like, actually pay attention to everything else that was going on. It's, like, it it worked much better for me this time. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I was surprised with how hypnotic it is. And even just, like, the way movement works in this film, like, it is very sensual. And that's, like, one one of the big themes of the film, too, is just if you should, like, the way it's framed, like, the main character, Howie, is very much repressed sexually and is is, uh just so terrified but also like entranced by like naked women and i love just seeing just the dance of that play out on screen and for like what it brings up for the viewer when you're watching it and and i think that held up really well i think i did like it i was hesitant to watch it because again it's one of those films where everyone says it's a classic you're like oh god but am i gonna be the asshole who watches it and doesn't like it like am i just gonna have no taste but i did really really like it and then i was surprised too because something that uh, Lucy brought up was I'm always hesitant with folk horror films because I think things like like Witchfinder General, uh, Blood and Satan's Claw, The Wicker Man, they're held up as like the often called English, like English folk horror, like Trinity of the ones you have to see. But it's always just like so tricky for me to know before obviously watching it if like the idea of going into another culture, judging them, shaming them and then being punished for that like if that doesn't in the end actually like make monsters out of the culture that is getting like infringed upon, which I was surprised and very happy that both the films are talking about today definitely deal with that. But I never felt like the people were monsters. And I, I did feel like with this one, it was like, 
someone is coming into a world they don't understand and is trying to like break it apart and judge it and and find answers instead of like just letting it this town have its like mysteries and secrets and, and let it be and don't touch what you don't know and like I don't know I was just very taken back by just how hard they went for 1973 like to burn this man alive while he's literally praying to God an Englishman on Scottish soil and I was very impressed by that and I just think that like that did help like hold up really really well and I was very happy about that yeah one of the things I wonder about while watching it is what it must have been like to watch this in 1973 when it came out yes I feel like there's a lot of I mean I guess now there's a lot of religious extremism still but I feel like in my mind it's more extreme than um, especially like extreme Christianity. I think it must have been just wild to have like gone to the drive-in theater and that was the second half of the bill. You didn't know it was coming. So just because it was marketed as English folk horror too. And in the end, like the Scots win, like, <laughs> like it's clear. And like just seeing just, I'm curious, like how it was received then too and how people felt. And I mean, especially like for like you both, like Lindsay and Lucy, like when you're watching it, like this time around, like, and you don't have to go into any, any more that, Bit, bit than you want to but like what kind of feelings about like english like colonialism and settler culture like it might have brought up watching it even though obviously like the world's a little bit different there's still a lot of those like scars still there for obvious reasons i was thinking about that a lot when i was watching it this time around because there's how he coming in he's from the west highlands he's very much like died in the will of christianity and also It'll be something that people who are not from Scotland probably won't realise, but this is set in, like, the Outer Hebrides, and in the Outer Hebrides, they would speak Gaelic uh, predominantly, especially at that time as well. It'll probably have changed a bit now, but it's still one of the areas in Scotland that they mostly speak Gaelic. So to come in with his, like, mainland ideas, and this is how things are, and you're not doing it properly, and it does very much speak to that, like, Anglification of Scotland, and many places that have been colonised will probably feel the same way, like, you're different, I'm right, you're wrong, you have to do what I do, mm. and if you're not doing it, then I'm going to pontificate to you until you do and that's why I don't like Howie very much mm-hmm. and because <laughs> that lights me up <laughs> yeah you can definitely see a bit of that there's also like if you take it back to the like the time periods and how things are changing it's very much like conservative versus liberal and mm-hmm. it's like the liberals win but in a way that is going to absolutely terrify conservatives mm-hmm. but yeah, I definitely saw that kind of, yeah, like, English takeover, even though Harry is, like, a Scottish man. Mm-hmm. He's, like, wearing English face throughout the film, like, yes. I don't know if there's not a word for it, but it's, like, that, like, the kind of what we were talking a little earlier about, like, hiding your accent or just, like, dressing up as an Englishman and thinking that the English will accept you when it's, like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sorry, Lucy, you're going to say something, too. <laughs> no, Lindsay's kind of encapsulized what I was going to say there. Um, And it's... It's interesting because there is, you know, there is still that you can see it from like, because I have family in Fort William as well. In Fort William, people do still speak Gaelic as well. And like all the signs are in English and Gaelic. And it's very much in Fort William, there's still a lot of preservation of culture. And you have that in other areas as well, like Orkney and Shetland and the islands. And there is still this English versus Scotland tension. It's always been there, and I don't think people really understand that unless you're from. I mean, especially with Scottish independence as well. And the film that we're going to be speaking about after this is really interesting because it came out, I think, the same month or just when we came to Scottish independence. So there is still like that. The story of the Wicker Man still kind of resonates today because there is like some people still have those tensions and there's very much like trying to have that preservation of culture just like Gaelic history um you know landmarks all those kinds of things so it's it, it's interesting because it's still like the scars of history are still there especially things that happened so long ago and there is I mean in Scotland just now we're still having discussions about Scottish independence and you know we have the Scot uh, SNP, which is uh, you know our first minister is SNP, and the whole point of the SNP political party—not the whole point of it, but their big promise—is to make Scotland independent. And I think it'll be an interesting discussion to have later on in the next film as well, because um, you know it's still something we, we we talk about. And I, you know, I remember when the referendum happened nearly ten years ago, and there was the vote for Scotland to become independent, and it was such a close vote. 
it was like neck and neck, yes versus no. And the kind of conversations you're having with your friends at that time and stuff, and people were so passionate about it. And it was just a, Lindsay, I don't know if you want to speak on that because it's just, I don't know if you got that from this film and the other one as well, but it's it's still a heated discussion today. Yeah, like there definitely is a bit of, like in this film, because there's tension with the mainlands and the islands because the islands are so different. And in Scotland, like we became a, a devolved country London's so far away from Scotland like how do these people in London think they have any right to say anything about our lives Mm. in Scotland and have a say in our lives in Scotland so we became devolved but then that conversation is happening again because if you're someone who lives in Shetland Shetland's closer in Norway than it is Scotland Mm. it's like what right does someone in Edinburgh have to say about our lives and then in similar vein like I think there is those tensions sometimes about English people who come over the border mm-hmm. and it's like I even during COVID actually because I stay like just over the border and a lot of people have holiday homes in Scotland which drives the price up of housing which again causes more resentment mm-hmm. and they're like oh we're gonna spend lockdown in our holiday home never fucking know you pay your taxes in England you don't pay them in Scotland so you're not coming up here to further like use the resources in Scotland that you don't pay for because you pay for your taxes in England mm-hmm. during an already tough time like this is not a lark mm-hmm. this is lockdown right stay down you one end of the border that sounds like really like xenophobic like I should be wearing a MAGA hat or something no, but no, no. these wounds are like cut so deep like especially another film it's like you want to stay in our land and make use of our cheap prices and our beauty but behind our backs you're calling us dumb jocks like no that doesn't sit right even in city in the cities as well so like I because I work in higher education and it's not as bad here that we had the issues with it last year but in the cities like Glasgow and Edinburgh so many of the properties are Airbnbs often not from people from Scotland and there's been a housing crisis so like students can't even get housing accommodation they're having to be like literally have bed bunks in like old halls of residents that aren't fit for purpose and I know people like I've had friends that like can't find somewhere to rent and that like that's kind of been an issue in Edinburgh for quite a long time because it is the capital of Scotland and it is definitely people call it like the English ta- the English city of Scotland because it is very commodified and it's like it's it's very much like a tourist attraction. But Glasgow's always been somewhere you can get accommodation, even like where I am in Aberdeen, which even though it's a say it's very remote and it's the remote you know, it's up near Inverness, so it's more like people don't tend to come up this way unless it's for the country. And we're having issues with accommodation. There's been a housing crisis because people are buying places to make them Airbnbs. And people that are from here or, you know, people that want to live here or students, you know, where people are struggling to get homes. And it's and with the living cost crisis in the UK right now, it's so it's it's astronomical, like the cost of living here and people aren't able to find homes. So it is kind of like it is a very sore wound. Mm-hmm. Um, so I completely get where you're coming from there, Lindsay, because I mean, I even see it in my day job. Like people can't find places to stay because properties are being bought up for for holiday homes. Scotland's like a great place to live like we have a lot of amenities that England don't like we have different taxation laws in Scotland we do have devolved powers which means we can get our prescriptions for free we have free healthcare for the elderly and free university and all these things and then you see that as well it's like people hop over the border to make use of those like advantages like amenities that we have um, through our devolved powers but then absolutely despise scotch people it's like don't come here then like scotland's a great place like there's definitely like you know they're everywhere like homophobic racist whatever's but like if you live in scotland you're from scotland it's a matter what color you are and that's a great thing about being here and i think what this film like the worker man shows so well is that kind of the way anglification comes in and it's just like we know better than you and sergeant harry comes into summer isle and he's like I know better than you. Listen to me. And it just doesn't go well with down well with the people of Summer Isle. They're happy with the way they live. They're so happy. And he just can't see it because 
he's been indoctrinated into something else and he doesn't even realise that. He's so indoctrinated that he comes over and he sees these people who are happy living a different lifestyle and he just he does not compute. Yeah, and there's something, uh, just like quickly go back to a point that you said, Lindsay, because I've thought about this a lot, but like, this is just as having like family members who passed that were like Southern Irish and stuff and, and tensions. I feel like you can't really, like it's not xenophobic to not, to have conflicting feelings about a culture that historically caused a lot of problems for your ancestors and a lot of other cultures and them not taking accountability and then creating more current modern problems on top of that, like not reconciling with their settler past is something that like is extremely like just infuriating. And I know both films touch on it in different ways, but I think like what you're saying is absolutely right. And just like, I don't think you sound like you're wearing a MAGA hat, as, especially as an American who have seen MAGA people. I think you're just asking for like accountability and respect and people to like love and support the country that they're in. And if they're making financial decisions to benefit themselves and undercut entire populations, then that's just selfish and it's dumb. <laughs> I think there's a reason when you go abroad, like, like if you go on a sunny holiday from the UK, like, the people who work in the bars and the hotels that always tell you that they love Scottish people and they don't like English people. <laughs> and I just think there's something in the culture. Well, Miss Summer, since you brought up a little bit, so I do I feel like it, it's hard. I do think Midsommar is more about collective grief and like not feeling shame around that and exercising that and giving a voice to that, like giving a voice and being okay with not being okay and having other people hold themselves accountable for not <clears throat> supporting on that journey. Like, I feel like that is a little bit different, but everything else about Midsommar is like, feels like shot for shot, the Wicker Man. So I would love to hear anyone who has seen both, like how you, how that has changed your connection or not to Midsommar or to this film. I mean, I, I hold that film very close to my heart. I, I watched that at a time where like I needed that and I very much resonated with Danny like I still do and it's a very cathartic film for me to watch like every time I watch it I cry because it's just like it feels like a therapy session so there is in terms of the aesthetic the aesthetic is very similar like some of the aesthetics very similar and the kind of similar premise obviously it's in a different region and it is a different culture you know we're talking about Scotland versus um, Sweden but I feel like the at the core of Midsommar it it is a different film like it is like the protagonist is on a completely different journey the the themes of it are different but there is there is similarities there there's definitely similarities and with with the remake as well but I do think they're fundamentally different films they are both trying to say different things but you can definitely tell Ari Aster took inspiration he was taking notes down when he was watching Wicker Man he's like oh yeah I'm gonna do that gonna do that but yeah, Lindsay, I don't know. I don't know what you think, but I love both of them. Yeah, like the Wicker Man walks so that Midsummer could run, um, for sure. Like you can see the kind of in the Wicker Man society, you know, like sex and sexuality is very important, and you can see that um with the community in Midsummer as well. Sex and sexuality is important. It's never something to be ashamed of in either society. And you can see similarities with like the dancing and different rituals. Obviously in Midsummer, there's a big self-sacrifice scene that's very shocking and the people of Summer Isle also practice sacrifice as well. Um, so yeah, you can definitely see the similarities, but I wouldn't call them like the same, you know? Yeah, I think you all are nailing it. I feel like Midsummer drew from the same well, but I think it was different water. I think it was the same rituals, but I feel like Ari Aster copied the rituals from the same places the Wicker Man copied them from rather than copying them from the Wicker Man, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. I know that he, for the film, for like his for himself when he was making the film, he wrote himself like a lore book. And I'm pretty sure the Golden Bow was like heavily in, like inspirational for what he was writing, but he wrote up his own rituals. So that was that is definitely definitely apparent and one fun like production credit that I just thought of because I was like oh this this is kind of like I don't know it feels like a loving homage although I don't know how much Ari Aster would know about it but 
Uh, the Wicker Man was actually shot in October, so it wasn't a lot of foliage at that time. So they had to glue flowers and to the Wicker Man, like trees and bushes, to give this sense of like like fertility and abundance. Uh, and then I just think of how many flowers are in Midsummer, and it's just like, huh. <laughs> uh, but it's just like a lovely thing that just came to my mind, and I love that production detail. Like hands up for them being that committed. <laughs> That's hysterical. Mm-hmm. Did you have any thoughts, Ryan, or notes for uh, the Wicker Man that you want to go over? I have one or two. One, I think the score is absolutely amazing, really catchy and just great. My biggest question was how he always screwed. Could he have escaped and would they have still sacrificed him if he had sex with the landlord's daughter? I guess that that like was a test, wasn't it? Like she was mm-hmm. trying to tempt him and if I don't think they would have, you know. I, I think when he said at the point of the film, I'm going back to the mainland to get more police officers, I think they would have let him. Yeah, because I feel like figuratively, okay, this is going to sound strange, <laughs> how welcoming they are to him. But I feel like if he like did have sex with the Rowena, is that her name, Rowena? Um, then it would have it would have signaled like some sort of acceptance and comfort and like yeah, being a part of and accepting his own his own Scottishness and being with someone who's Scottish and like joining that community if he had done that and that would have then he would have been of the people and then I don't think they would have sacrificed him not just for the like oh you're not a virgin on the checklist I think it would have been something deeper (laughs) yeah it is the only film I've seen that uses a male virgin for a sacrifice I'm more movies should just do that am I missing something else that does that or is it like the only one I think that's a good point, and I think yeah. the reason they probably haven't is uh, sexism. Uh, it's yes. more sexy to have a female virgin. It's more expected to have a female virgin because I mean Neil Howie, he's quite old, like to like be waiting to be engaged. Like he must be in his thirties, like at this time. Like oh, yeah. I'm sure that like the people of the West Highlands would be like, "There's something wrong with him because he's not married yet." Like no, for sure. Like really? people were like that judgmental. Like back in the day in Scotland, if you didn't smoke, like people thought you were a weirdo. Like in the seventies, if you didn't smoke cigarettes, you would have been thought of as quite strange. So things like that, like to keep up with the societal standards because they you know it does tend to be smaller communities in Scotland uh, he would have been thought of as quite strange to have not been married yet mm-hmm. so that maybe leads on to your next question like are we supposed to like him I imagine not a lot of people even in Neil's community Neil Howie's community would have liked him I think they would have thought he was quite a strange man because he wasn't married yet mm-hmm. Yeah, I did not like him at all and I'm really glad you guys said earlier that you also did not like him I was just very happy to hear it basically everyone hates this guy. <laughs> yeah, I think you're supposed to, to be honest. I feel like if we were on his side, then it, it would be a propaganda film, right? Because it'd be like, oh no, he lost. And then it would change the takeaway message from this. Yeah. Okay. At the very end, as, as Neil is burning, he yells something. And I've read multiple interpretations of what he yells. What word does he yell? I think it's two or three times as he's burning. And what does it mean? I don't know. <laughs> I just heard him not wanting to burn like the fires of hell. I heard I heard that last part, and then I didn't hear the word. Like he's praying, he's praying, and then some people think he yells Daniel, and some people think he yells failure. No, I have I'm no idea who Daniel failure. is. I heard Daniel, and the <laughs> caption said Daniel. I don't honestly no? have no idea. Like I was reading about this scene, like a lot of Edward Woodward's reaction to seeing the Wicker Man was like Edward Woodward's reaction to seeing the Wicker Man because. He kept like the director was like, Do you want to see it? He was like, Nah, like I want to fresh eyes when I go like to do the scene. And I think he was actually quite like genuinely frightened when he was in oh. the Wicker Man as well. He was genuinely frightened of being burned. So honestly, Edward Woodward might not know what he was saying. <laughs> I think he was just like exclaiming because he was scared. I'm like looking up the IMDb credits now to be like, I wonder if there was like a production assistant who's just named Daniel and he's just like, get me out of here, Daniel. A goat peed on him um, oh. Oh. during that scene as well. So it might have been the goat's name. I don't know. There's a sound apartment guy named Richard Daniel. But I don't know if he would have helped him in that scene. Wow. Yeah, I still can't believe this shit they got away with before like... Well, actually, I don't know, because I'm thinking of American Hollywood films. I don't know much, actually, about, like, in, in England, 
or in Scotland for that matter, when you're filming like any OSHA like laws on sets of what can be permitted, would they be in place at that time? Like, because at some point in Hollywood, we're like, yeah, let's not use live fire anymore. That's a bad idea. <laughs> but, um, oh, live fire was used during that. Because I think yes, they, yeah, yeah. like, I read something about them trying to make sure that none of the animals were killed, but I think some of them were. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, the 70s, man. It's just Yeah, it was the Wild West then. Let's move on to our second breakout film, White Settlers. Uh, so White Settlers of the Bloodlands came out in 2014, the same year as Your Next, mm. um, which is a great mumblecore classic. Directed by Simeon Halligan from a script by Ian Fenton, stars Pollyanna McIntosh as Sarah and Lee Williams as Ed, a young British couple who buy a Scottish farmhouse that the bank foreclosed on after the previous owner died inside. They are not warmly welcomed. So, first question, how'd y'all like it? I wasn't a fan, not gonna lie. <laughs> I did message Lindsay last time, um, like earlier today, because whilst I really like um, Wickerman, I fucking hate this. <laughs> like, it's just not my kind of movie. Like, I'm not a massive fan of Supernatural and I'm not a massive fan of Home, home Invasion. Like, I like the ending and I kind of like the idea of this, but it's just, I find it very, like, slow and every time I thought, oh, is it going to end? No, it didn't end. Oh, is it going to Oh, no, no, it just keeps going. There was so many scenes I felt just could have been cut and I'm just... I like character development. I I want to know about people and I want backstories and it's just these people in pig masks chasing them and like you kind of get an idea at the end why they're doing it but you don't really know about them or anything and it's just yeah it just fell really flat for me. Sorry. It took 40 minutes to get to the home invasion. <laughs> I was like, yeah. "Come on guys. 40 minutes in an 80 minute film." Oh, I was a slog. But yeah. I like the idea of it. Um, I do. I found it. I don't know if you thought the same thing, Lucy, because you also have similar feelings about this film. It reminded me a little bit of Eden Lake. Yes, um, and it's like Eden Lake is someone who had no business writing and directing that film about that community, mm. made it and said quite frankly offensive things about working class people. And I just feel like this is kind of similar. It was English guys writing these films about how Scottish people feel about English people. And it's just like, what the fuck do you know? <laughs> like, in the nicest way possible. Yeah, like even the the cat, the only like Scottish character they really interact with properly is the 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 boy, like the young boy. I don't know if he's quite a teenager yet, but he doesn't even speak. Like they don't. No, literally. So it's like they they don't really get to see the other side. It's very one sided, and I see what you mean, Lindsay. This is very much you can see it's written from somebody that's not part of the Scottish community and they're not given, like, it's just, it, it it just doesn't show any other side of it. And I just think that falls flat then because I don't really, I'm not, I don't particularly like our protagonists. Like, I don't know too much about them either. They're not very likeable. I don't think they're made to be likeable, but I don't like the other side. Well. We don't really get to relate to the Scottish people. We don't really know anything about them. We know that they wanted to, buy the property but they couldn't because they don't have the finances to do so but they kind of brush that under the carpet they're just like oh shame okay move on like they don't really you know you can't sympathize for them like even like Lindsay like you said had you either of you seen it before this pod or was this the first time watching both of you okay okay I was like I'm curious why you picked it I was like I wonder if it was intentional like here's one that does not do Scottish horror well (laughs) which kind of is like how it turned out to be which is great we got contrast we love that (laughs) how did you feel about it? I didn't love it. <laughs> I felt like it was sexist. I, I don't, I have this, I just have a huge gripe where I feel like in horror, it's really tired and old to like have, um, like, especially a seemingly like straight, like cis couple that just seem to hate each other, but like are still together. Like it's just, then don't be together. I don't know. Just like, <laughs> I feel like it's very lazy, like lazy writing. Um, and it led to some weird character decisions and like gaslighting which is like what happens in a lot of home invasion thrillers i get it but then they didn't really deliver on that like it for a second i thought it was going to get a lot more i guess like woohoo femme empowerment where like the the leading woman 
is going to start killing off all these people. But then like that gets like literally like cut out real quick. (laughs) And then it's just like, it's weird because it's like, I almost would have rathered the film to fully commit to that. And as much as it would have been horrible to let her be horrible and maybe see what could have come out of that on the statement of, of like unresolved, like, xenophobia and like hatred of Scottish people and and, like from an English person's perspective and just like being like this is like they're being like the monster in this moment and completely misunderstanding what the Scottish people in the film are trying to do but it, it doesn't do that so it just tries to walk this fine line and like again like when people are dealing with like marginalized issues in film and especially like when it comes into class systems like I don't like when they do this thing where it's like they want to brush past like the scars and the pain and the catharsis that like sometimes violence can give in a hard movie context that makes sense for people going through. And they want to like get to like the happier ending, like the way that which I know we're going to get to like, the way the film ends kind of just felt unrealistic, like with the amount of like pain and like the whole like push of just like this house that this English per- English couple bought, like bought out similar to like what we we're talking about with the English immigration taking like, viable land from families that need it especially in rural areas or it's harder to afford anything like we, like drove home at it. it was like the land was from a, a big battle between like the scots and the english like years and years and years ago and a lot of blood was lost on that land hence the bloodland alternate title name like they leaned into it so hard uh and at the end like the english people are saved and it, there's just a friendly cookout and it just feels like too way too soon to be that kind i think but i'm a bit more like radical in my horror movie taste in that way where it's like i want you to make a statement i don't want you to just like sugarcoat it like if you're gonna go in go in i guess is how i felt i feel that they try and wrap it up in a little bow and that's just not how it's supposed to be and i would rather like you said they take it all the way like make our protagonist because like they they do say i mean they got notes here ed says some pretty horrible stuff about you know his neighbors and you know scottish people in general you why not really really lean into that then and make us really hate them or at the same time if you are trying to because this film does feel very classist as well which is like Lindsay kind of mentioned that as well we still see that today like working class scottish people are very much demonized based on your accent or where you live even in small towns i'm referring to where i'm from again certain areas people you know people can get very much judged if you live in a certain area and people will have those preconceptions about you but if they're wanting to make out scottish people in this film to be the villains to be the monsters surely they would have killed them at the end like that's why i'm like well why i i I don't know what they're trying to achieve here like i I feel like they they can't decide with our couple or the neighbors that they're living with like that the ending just left me very confused yeah because like they're gonna call the cops right like, you're just kidnapped and yeah. like like what what but that's the plan the plan is just to take them on a bus trip like sorry. it does not make a ton of sense from like a realistic perspective because like they're gonna go to jail they cut that woman's achilles tendon that's not like a thing you can just like it makes very, very little sense. I did have a question for y'all about the ending. Are they in England at the ending? They're in. Or are they looking at a train headed towards England? No, they I are. Think, I, oh. I think it's Newcastle. Do you think the same, Lucy? Because we were there, was it last year? And I was like, that looks like Newcastle. Yeah, well, I thought it might have been London. Not central London, but somewhere near London. Or maybe, I don't know. Like Manchester? Or maybe Manchester, yeah, but no, it could be it could be Newcastle. I don't know if it's confirmed in any that's of the like the nearest city to the Scottish borders. Mm. That's true. Actually, that would make yeah, that would make sense. Cool. One of the things I found interesting about the ending: the little boy who's unmasked for the entire movie finally puts the pig mask on. What y'all make of that? <laughs> Not much. Like <laughs> take, 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 taking over the family trade, I guess. Or like yeah. I don't because we don't know. Could could he be the kid of one of them, or is it just like they all? Because they don't. That's the thing. There's no character development. Again, I know I'm pushing on that, but you don't know anything about these people, so you kind of have to. And you know, I don't like a film where the audience has to be. You know, you have to hold their hand. I don't expect that, but you need to give us something. Mm-hmm. But that's my kind of concept notion of it. Is like he's gonna maybe take take it on like the kids are supposed to protect the region and then if any outsiders come they have to wear the mask and steer them away 
that's kind of what I get from it. But then you don't, like you say, it's, you, you don't really know anything. So it's kind of, it's, it's a guessing game, really. Yeah, that's what I got, that it was kind of like, uh, like a, it, I think it was supposed to be, see, it, I don't find it radical, but I think it was supposed to be like, uh, the next generation militia men will protect the lands, which is just like really infantizing, I think, like, like, there's government still in Scotland. <laughs> like you can pass laws, oh, <laughs> but like there's like it's not like it just reminds me of the same thing. Because me and Ryan were texting a little bit because Chris, like my husband's biggest pet peeve about South, like in America South, like horror because he came from working class, like not rural but southern areas, is like the like bumbling like hick stereotype that always comes up, and it's always just like. Uh, they can't solve their problems with anything but murder and it's just like i'm i'm sure there's other ways to solve this problem <laughs> like talk to the bank like it wouldn't make a good horror movie but it just seems just like so much just like so condescending too i did not like it yeah those are all fair critiques um i wish i knew y'all hated the movie before i definitely geared my questions more toward that <laughs> but uh, early on i hated ed especially when he disregarded sarah's we're going to be very well-founded anxieties, which, as Cass mentioned, is kind of a trope. Yeah. I just want to share this quote. Ian Sedensky from Culture Crit uh, wrote, if belittling spouses were an Olympic sport, Ed would be a gold medal champion, which I just yeah. loved. So why do you all think we see this trope again and again in films? Why does it keep coming back? I think it's a lazy way to build tension because if the spouses are battling, you don't know if the characters will trust each other. So in a tense moment, one of them could possibly turn on each other. So I think writers do that a lot. That's just my my take, though. I wish we could see more because we see this again, like in every single Netflix thriller and drama series <laughs> as well when it comes to relationships. It's the same thing again and again. And it's just like, just surely there's other tensions that could be found or like build on tension with the neighbours. That's what I would like to see. If you wanted to kind of lean into what Wickerman did, like show conflict with the neighbours and maybe they're rallying together and it could be actually that they actually don't hate each other. That would be nice for once in a film and they actually maybe try and, you know, it's them against the, against the community. That would have been a bit more interesting and that would have had, that would have gripped me more. Like I would have been more invested in that. But yeah, I fucking hate it. He oh, see what he's going about with his like Arsenal, Arsenal football scarf on as well, and he's just like <laughs> I. I think Lindsay, you can attest to this. We you you know people like that. Like we've all seen a football lad like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> like I would love to go to a football game. It looks like a really good atmosphere, but. My sister's had a football boyfriend before and he would go on about like needing a nervous poo before the games and stuff like that. And she's just like, you're giving me the ick. Then she'd tell right. me and I'd be like, I have the ick. Like, it's a lot. Um, Quick question. Was he taking the nervous poo before he played in the game or before he watched the game? Before he watched it. Oh, wow. He watched what? It. <laughs> football is such a big thing in Scotland as well. Yeah. Like, it's, um, it's not like, especially... Oh god, this is a it's Celtic and and Rangers. Celtic and Rangers. Oh my god. Honestly, like people will there there will be fights at bars after Celtic and Ranger games. Like people will have family feuds and fights and probably breakups based on it. I'm not joking. People take it so seriously. It's Alcohol it's unreal. Is banned, I believe, in football stadiums because like people can get so rowdy. Wow. Yeah. My thoughts on Ed, I wondered if the writers, because like people will be like, I hate the English. It's quite a normal thing to hear in Scotland, which I feel really bad because I have English friends, but it's like the concept of the English. They're so arrogant and they know it all and they just don't listen. And I feel like that's very Ed. So I wondered if they wanted to put all these things that people don't like about the English and then put it into a character so that we would hate him. <laughs> that's my thoughts. That's the only thing I can think of, but I just, I, I don't even know if the people who made this film are smart enough to do that. Right. Um, but that's what I thought. Did anyone else feel really weird about the sex scene? It just seemed like we were in Sarah's <laughs> point of view for like 95% of the movie. And there's just like 5% where we're just like, I'm going to get, we're going to add point of view as he gets a blowjob in the woods blindfolded that follows her through some trees where she's slowly stripping for him and it just it felt very 
out of the film. It felt like a different movie entirely. Yeah, that gave me the ick. They wanted to portray this like idyllic version of the relationship, and then they do like the three months later, or is that after after three months later? And then it's like proper culture shock. These two absolutely should not be in a relationship because, like, well, he's not very nice to her. But I don't really feel like she gets a character arc, really, yeah. or, or any personality at all. But um, yeah, like. I was watching it and I was like, "Oh, go get yours, girl." But, uh, then, but it's like weird. Like it's it's very out of place in the film. Yeah. It feels like the sex was like definitely just for him. It didn't seem like she was having very much fun. I felt written by a man, and just like, I think there's one line too where it's like it's like this pastoral like lighting, and they're in the field, and she's just like, "I want to suck your cock," and it's just like, "Whoa, what a what a transition!" Like, yeah, I'm sure maybe you can say that, but just like. It just came out very quickly in a weird way. So it just feels like male wish fulfillment fantasy 101 slapped onto a woman character. So the film seemed to have like really wanted to be going to be on an allegorical level with the villain spending 99% of the runtime wearing pig's mask. Is there like a political party in Scotland where you wear a pig mask or something? Is there like some connection to pigs that I'm missing? Because if there's not, it feels very uh, empty. No, I mean, pigs are a farm animal and they're on a farm. Like, yeah, no, there's not really anything I can think of to do with England or Scotland that is it got anything to do with pigs. I don't know about you, Lucy. I was just thinking that maybe they were a fan of Saw and they were <laughs> like, well, let's pick this. That's, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, it did come out the same year as Your Next, which is a very good movie where people wear also wear animal masks. Um, did not quite work out in white settlers' favors. Cass, do you have any thoughts on this movie? Oh, I'm trying to think. I think you covered a lot of my main ones. Yeah, I also feel like whoever titled the movie, again, like needed like to have it workshopped a bit just because I, I went in without knowing anything I, I really was thinking that this was going to be like a movie about like Scottish indigenous like communities like and it was not that either it was <laughs> so I don't know I just I felt like in a lot of ways there's like a lot of just like tone deafness all throughout this like script and story I will say that the one gore scene it has with Achilles tendon being cut that that was pretty gnarly I liked that otherwise uh, yeah, don't did not like it. I just I feel like a, a really big reason why I like home invasion thriller is hard to write and make it compelling is you have to have a reason for why someone can't get away and why they feel danger and you have to like give them limitations in a way that makes it harder to to get out of the situation. Like a film like Funny Games nails it uh, because it's aware of all those like genre tropings and stuff but this one just didn't make sense why there's so many times she could have just climbed up a tree and just hid and just like waited and bought her time and it just i feel like it invented problems and didn't really make much sense sadly your, your criticism of the the title is really interesting so in scotland it's the bloodlands in the u.s it's white settlers yes i have right. no idea why they changed it to white settlers for a u.s audience i think we're predisposed to think of like white in terms of race right exactly yeah, I don't know why the Bloodlands also is like a better title and more accurate to what the film was like trying to get at. But do y'all have more thoughts? I think I've kind of said everything that I can think of. But yeah, I prefer Bloodlands as a title as well, to be honest. I don't know about you, Lindsay. I guess it does make a bit more sense in terms of like what we were talking about at the start and makes reference to the numerous, numerous wars that have gone on between scotland and england and now it's more like political battles but yeah i think somebody had an idea to put out a horror film about the scotland england tensions and they put that in the hands of two english men Mm -hmm. uh, which was a really bad idea um, they should have, like, we should have got to know our, like, villains, uh, in quotation marks, a bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have no reasons to root for or hate the people in the masks because we don't know anything about them. And, like, if there was maybe some plot line about the fact that, like, the community wanted to buy the property, then the whole, like, barbecue scene at the end would maybe make a bit more sense because then they finally got one up on these you know 
rich southerners who couldn't stop talking about how cheap the place was and it's like well this is actually really expensive for the people in the communities and they want you to buy it and you've just essentially stole it from them so nobody around here likes you that would have created tension whereas it's just like you give us these two unlikable people and then they get their house broken into it's like i don't care like i don't care why should i care yeah very cool all right well, I think that's it for West Sellers then. Thank you guys so much for coming on. This has been a lot of fun. Good. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed your little jaunt into Scotland uh, <laughs> via movies. <laughs> yeah, there's a plenty I have to add to my list now to watch, which is exciting. Is there anything either of you would like to plug before we, well, before I continue my Scottish jaunt off, off this podcast? <laughs> Not a plug, but something that came out recently that was um, Scottish, Scottish-based that I really like is the new season of Black Mirror. There's an episode called Walk Henry. Oh. I really liked that episode. So even, obviously, Black Mirror, you can watch just one episode. It's a different story each time. They've done Scottish-based episodes before, but I, the, this one I really like. The casting's really solid. Mm-hmm. I would give that a watch. Yeah, that one's phenomenal. Yeah, no, I really, I really like. I think it was the first episode of the season. And I was like, oh, this is gonna work. I've been, I love Black Mirror, so I was so excited, and they really started off with a bang. I really enjoyed it. Thank you both for joining us. This has been lovely, and hope you have a great rest of your week.